Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 54 for Picard, season 1, episode 7, Nepenthe. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. And I'm Captain Sabriel Maston. Welcome back this episode. Welcome aboard, Captain. It's so exciting to be talking about another great episode of Picard. Yeah, uh, I don't want this show to end now. This one was emotional for me. Yeah, the first five episodes, I'll be honest, were kind of hit or miss for me. I don't know that that came across in the Transporter Lock podcast. I was kind of holding back because I didn't want to yuck anybody else's yum. But episode six and seven, oh man, I am digging this. <laughs> well, should we uh, dive into the TLDR? Yeah, let's break it out into three different tracks because there was really an A, B, and C plot this week. Why don't you take it away with two yeah, thirds of it and I'll pick up. Uh- I'll cover the BC uh, board cube no, and the uh, La Serena. Uh, so uh, on the board cube, Nerissa, the Romulan agent, is trying to get information on Picard and Soji's whereabouts from Hugh, but he is being defiant. As punishment, Nerissa starts to kill former Borg that he is helping to save. Nerik takes a ship to follow La Serena, Rios and crew, to where they assume Picard is at. Elnor decides to stay behind and help Hugh. Hugh decides he is going to take the Borg cube for himself using the powers that lay inside the queen cell, but Nerissa kills him before he can do so. His dying words to Elnor were that a former Borg is needed to activate the ship. Elnor escapes into the bowels of the Borg cube, finding a Fenris Ranger badge he uses to call for help. And that's essentially what happens on the Borg cube for that plot. Over on La Serena, Gerardi is not doing well after killing Bruce, knowing what is going on, at least inside of her head, and unbeknownst to the others, putting them in danger because she has a tracker in her body. We found out about that tracker because the show opened with us finally seeing what happened when the head of Starfleet Intelligence met her in a past episode. Oh, or in that moment, oh, the Vulcan forced a mind meld onto Gerardi, showing her a group of eight cultists doing some sort of ceremony and a planet blowing up, promising this is what would happen if the synths were allowed to live. Gerardi has a meltdown and Raffi goes to take care of her, promising Aunt, Dur- Aunt Raffi's uh, special care. Meanwhile, the La Serena ship finds they have a tail, someone we know to be Narek, but they do not know this yet. All attempts to lose him fail, and Rios begins to suspect that either Rafi or Gerardi have a tracker, and near the end of the episode, Gerardi tries to kill herself. She does not succeed, but it does seem to destroy the tracker, as Narek swears in Romulan to himself in the cold vastness of space. That's more or less what happened in these two plots. Why don't you take care of the third? Yeah, okay, so... The name of the episode is Nepenthe, because that is where the rest of the episode is set. We see Picard and Soji step out of the spatial trajector onto Nepenthe, where we find out why they have chosen that planet. It's because it's where the happily married couple Will Riker and Deanna Troy live with their daughter. Oh, it's a happy family, except that we find out that Will and Troy had at some point also had an older son who passed away because of a disease that could have been cured had positronic matrices been allowed, but those were banned by the ban on synths. So that is why their child has passed away. However, this is nonetheless a safe space for Picard to reunite with his former counselor and number one, and they share some very touching moments and discuss what to do with Soji, who does not trust anybody because Narek just tried to kill her after saying that he loved her so now she really is on edge about discovering she's an android and that she's supposedly data's daughter and all this other stuff but slowly she comes around and shares with her the inf- with her team the rest of the information about seeing the two blood red moons and so much lightning above her home world and so they summon rios and rios comes and collects them and they set out to find soji's home world Now, there's a lot of other finer details that we'll get into, but that is the overall arc of what happened on the planet Nepenthe, seeing three TNG cast members 
reunited. Sabriel, you had some feels about this episode. Let's share them. Oh my gosh, I tweeted about this. You know, you know, part of the problem before I get there is I watched this right away on Thursday morning before anyone else can watch. So I'm like, I have feelings about the show and I want to express them, but I don't want to spoil anything. So I put very vague things on Twitter. <laughs> and this time I put a... Uh, a moving pictogram of a uh, of uh, someone eating ice cream with crying. <laughs> oh, why the tears, Sabriel? Uh, I had multiple moments where I had feels, particularly revolving the the Troy Rikers as they are known. Uh, the first when Diana sees Jean Luc, and they both have this warm, huge smile, and still while they're, while they're hugging, Diana can sense his pain and then she starts tearing up and that's where i started losing it and she's just like kind of basically you could see it in her eyes like oh jean luc what's wrong and he and he uh lies to her and himself saying i'm fine and then later on jean luc is in thaddeus their son's uh dead son's room and diana uh is having a hard time saying like i'm so glad you're here but basically I don't want you to be endangering my family. And she lies to Picard and herself saying, I'm fine. And she's crying. And then uh, when Will and Picard see each other, they start tearing up. And near the end of the episode, when they are together on the docks, I start tearing up. Uh, it was very emotional for me seeing all these people back together again. Even thinking about it now, I'm starting to get misty-eyed. But then uh, at one moment on the Borg cube, I didn't see this coming. Nerissa and Elnor are fighting, and Nerissa lobs a little knife at Hugh's neck. I screamed out loud at my monitor as I watched. Uh, it just caught me off guard. Uh, and that really sucked, <laughs> seeing him die so suddenly. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on this episode. I, I want to talk about what happened on Nepenthe, because... Uh, a lot of what you just shared regards Thaddeus, the Thaddeus Troy Riker, the late son of Will and Deanna. And there were so many cues leading up to the revelation that they had had this pain. For example, when she says to Picard, you can stay in Thaddeus's room. And Thaddeus is someone we haven't seen yet. We're wondering where he is. And then when we go into their daughter's room, we notice two things. One is a drawing on the wall of a family of four when we've only seen three of them, and also that she's sleeping in a bunk bed, and there's only one of them, so why would she have a bunk bed? And then finally, Deanna goes to open the door to Thaddeus's room, and she hesitates just as she touches the doorknob, because she does not want to go in, because there are so many memories inside. And I just, I felt so bad for Deanna and for Will, partly because I feel like Picard is a show where nobody gets happy endings. I feel like, <laughs> you know... If it weren't for that one loss, then this life would be idyllic. They are living off the land, they are out of harm's way, and they have this beautiful, wonderful child. And yet, no, the writers had to add this loss to their lives. And I just. And they tied yeah. it into the plot of the show. Which seemed a little too convenient, a little too on the nose. And I also can't help but wonder, the synth ban is within the Federation only. I feel like Will and Deanna are two people who would have gone outside the law to save their son's life. They might have had connections, and maybe there, isn't, maybe there is a reason they didn't. Uh, we don't know if we're ever going to get to explore that story. Maybe something happened, or maybe there's repercussions to the rest of the people near the Federation if they do it. Uh, I feel like there's some missing information, but you're right. They would have the connections out there. But then how big was uh, synthetic life outside of the Federation as well? That's true. We don't know what other societies or cultures are researching this, or even if, if any of them have developed positronic networks. I mean, I think Data may have been the only one, and they were trying to recreate that. Uh, the only silicon-based life form top of my head... Um, God, I'm also calling the polygonals, um, uh, the Solians. Uh, the 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 virus that took the Thaddeus's life was silicon based. I'm thinking, to me, this means they still do not have a good. Uh, the Federation does not have a good uh, rapport with the Solians, a silicon based life. And maybe there's nothing they could have done either. 
But yeah. uh, it just made me think of that. It doesn't necessarily mean that there was any connection there. It's just like, oh, it's a bummer. Yeah. You know, d- even though they have lost this son, I absolutely love the character of their daughter. I'm, but I forget her name. What's her name? Kestra. Kestra. I thought Kestra so- was just delightful. She was... She was smart. She was snarky. She was creative. She was empathetic. And we can attribute that to her mother. So Kestra is herself a quarter Beta Z. Not that we necessarily saw that or even had it referenced, but she was very in tune with people. Yeah. Like, even if she had some kind of Beta Z powers, she wouldn't be able to sense anything from Soji. It's like, even Deanna was like, they didn't know Soji was an android at first, but like, I sense all this stuff from her, but I can't sense it from her. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of like they start. Picard doesn't want to tell Riker and Troy what's up, but they both figure things out pretty quickly. I love, I love the scene while Riker and Picard are making pizza. And Riker's like, if you won't tell me, maybe I'll just figure it out. And he's like, cloaks, Romulan. that means Romulans. Anxiety for our safety. That means tell she are. Now I recognize that head tilt anywhere. <laughs> Soji is an android. <laughs> yeah, I, I apologize. I don't remember if it was you or Amanda, but between the two of you, you both picked up on things in previous episodes of Transporter Lock that I missed. One was when Soji did the head tilt. Yes. And yep. I, I didn't notice it the first time, but I really noticed it this time, and so <laughs> did Will. And also pointing out that we don't know what O and Gerardi talked about and you and I could talk about that more but that's another thing that I never thought would get filled in because I thought we could take it at face value but there was more to it as far as uh, Kestra and Nepenthe go I thought it odd that Troy couldn't pick up any emotions from her because even in the episode Descent when Data and Lore had emotions Deanna could pick up on that and so for Soji to not have any emotions that Deanna could pick up, I wondered if that meant either it's just a different kind of emotion that she's not attuned to, or if it meant that Soji isn't actually experiencing emotions. And these are all just like she's an automaton programmed to demonstrate emotions without actually feeling them, which would be horrifying. Yeah, there's multiple ways you can take this. It's possible either a retcon or forgot, or yeah, something is underlying is going on um and maybe we'll get to see that uh we just don't know yet uh i mean i love that we're still finding all this stuff out but also like so many questions come up because of it yeah even soji is figuring these things out about herself she's like no i don't play the violin and i guess i kind of like sherlock holmes but yeah i can (laughs) run really fast and have super strength and hear things really far away yeah, I loved the relationship of Soji and Kestra yes. so much. Yes. Having a young young teenager who's still discovering the world and life uh, is now talking with essentially another teenager who is figuring out the world and life after just finding out moments ago, mind you, for us it's been a few weeks, but for her, moments ago, she found out she's an android. And uh, she even said, like, because uh, early in the episode, Picard asked, or Kestra's like, who are you? And Picard's like, do you know Commander Data? Immediately, Kestra puts the pieces together and says, like, you're an android? And Soji has a breakdown. I thought that was really poor timing on Picard's part, because he had oh, never was. mentioned Data to Soji either. No, yeah, he uh, he is terrible with kids. And that is a constant throughout the Star Trek. The Star Trek. It is a constant throughout the Star Trek. Yes. He is terrible with kids. Even in this episode, uh, like at one point he says something to Soji and she just punches him and walks away and Riker, Riker tries to defend him and, and Deanna's like, no, you deserved it. You had that coming. Yep. <laughs> like, and then Riker's like, yeah, you've got a teenager now. You've got to do things differently. It's a very humbling experience in his words. <laughs> and I'm not sure you're up to it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved there was a moment near the end uh, Kestra was saying I don't understand I know you've had something difficult to go through and I did too talking about the loss of her brother and Kestra's like I made it through with, a, with my mom and dad they helped me get through it you have Picard and so she's like I don't know and she's like you could if you want essentially telling her that you guys need each other Car needs a reason to live, and you are trying to figure things out. You have each other. And that's exactly the kind of relationship that 
Data and Picard had back during the show and during the movies. They worked off each other so much. It basically were recreating the Data-Picard relationship with Soji and Picard. I did find when Soji asked Picard, why do you want to help me? And Picard, his reason was valid, but also a little selfish. He said, you know, back on that farm, uh, on that estate, I was just waiting to die. And then you came along and now I have a mission again. And I'm like, that's great. It's good that you have a mission. And it's good that your mission is altruistic and that you want to help her. But the reason you want to help her is because it gives you something to do. That the way he phrased it wasn't necessarily yeah, altruistic. Yeah, that felt really weird to me. Uh, and maybe that will come up later. Like maybe he doesn't know how to put into words either, or or they're just taking this at face value as a writing team, and like that, that just really felt shallow. And like it's not wrong, but it feels like the Picard we know would have said more. Yeah, shallow is a great word. Thank you. That's exactly how it should be described. And yeah, like I said, not wrong, just not enough. Yeah. Although, uh, again, speaking about how great Kestra is, even even if we don't like how Picard was in this episode, I loved, I mean, you said that she immediately connected the dots and said, oh, so Soji's an android. But she knew so much more about Data. Like, even when she first asked, can you play the violin? I was like, why, why would you ask somebody if they can play the violin? And then she said, <laughs> do you like Sherlock Holmes? I'm like, Oh, you know data that well. And even before that, when they're in the bunk bed, she was saying like, Sochi asked, why would data create a synth with mucus? And Kestra was like, because the only thing data wanted to do was to be more human and to tell jokes and learn to ballroom dance. And that's a mm-hmm. very specific reference to the episode Data's Day. And the fact that not only does Kestra know that, which is touching, that she would remember that detail about somebody she's never met. It also means that Troy and Riker were sharing these very specific stories about this man that they loved and lost in the line of duty with their daughter. And I think it's wonderful that Data's memory is living on like that. And now I'm getting teary. <laughs> no, it's true. Like It's clear how much the, the Troy and Riker felt because they even talked about Picard as the greatest captain in Starfleet. <laughs> uh, so it's clear they talked about their adventures a lot with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I loved the little reference with the names Thaddeus and Kestra. Uh, Thaddeus is a reference to Star Trek Voyager, where the episode where a Q wants to kill himself, but he can't because he's an immortal being. Uh, during the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the trial? When someone wants a trial, with, uh, when someone wants asylum, asylum trial, asylum trial. Uh, he uses the evidence of uh, he's messed with people on the earth in the past. And Quinn, this Q, uh, went back and helped Riker's, turned out to be Riker's ancestor in the Civil War, Thaddeus Riker. And so here, and Riker doesn't have no, has no memory of the Voyager incident, but they named their kid after a Civil War veteran in his family, which I thought was neat. And then Kestra is the name of Deanna's sister who died before she was born. Deanna, in this episode, I don't remember the name of it, but had no idea she even had a sister. And through one means or another, Luxwana, her mother, reveals to her uh, that she did have a sister. And so they named their kids after these things we've seen in the show before. I thought that was cool. Wow. I was trying to figure out where Thaddeus came from. Thank you for connecting that dot. All I could think of was... James T. Kirk was Tiberius. Mm. William T. Kirk was Thomas, as we saw with his transporter clone. I couldn't figure out where Thaddeus came from, but you're right. It's his Civil War ancestor. And Kestra, I totally missed that. We saw her in the seventh season episode of TNG, Dark Page. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, I I just love Kestra so much, but um, I love that she had this connection. I love Thaddeus's. He was a starship boy. He was basically a military brat who had no home, going from ship to ship, planet to planet. He had no home world of his own. So his young little mind felt very D&D-like or very fantasy life where he created his own world. He created his own home and made his own mythology around it. And the family took to it very closely. 
making up he made up languages and all that and uh even after his death kestra is still pretending he's uh one of the wild women of the woods or wild girls of the woods uh yeah. that he had invented and i thought this is just so magical this is so wonderful yeah and the whole family still speaks these made-up languages multiples of them yeah uh, that was wonderful. I also loved that Kestra had a t-shirt in Klingon that had printing on it. Uh, we've only seen this once before in Discovery because they have just disco t-shirts. But here, uh, we had a young girl who had a, a rock band t-shirt. It turned out to be a reference to the Sex Pistols. It was Klingon for sex phasers. I totally missed that. I missed that she was missing that shirt, that she was wearing such a shirt. And even if I had noticed it, I doubt I would have translated it. That's amazing. It was, um, people were trying to figure it out online. Like, we saw this thing, and some people noticed, like, this looks kind of like the Sex Pistols font. And then I think it was the, one of the Star Trek, either official one or one of the fan ones, they figured it out. And it's a sex, it says sex phasers in Klingon. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that well, was really fun. Let's talk a little bit about how seeing Picard and Riker reunited. I loved when he first walks in. And Will Riker says, oh, man, <laughs> and goes to give him a big <laughs> hug. I felt like in that moment, we were seeing not Will Riker, but Jonathan Frakes. And that, in some oh. respect, was a complaint I've kind of had about this show. I feel like we've been watching Patrick Stewart instead of Jean-Luc Picard. But in this scene, I didn't care because it was so sincere and so enthusiastic that I feel like Jonathan Frakes would have been just as excited to work with Patrick Stewart as Will Riker would have been to work with Jean-Luc Picard. Absolutely, I agree with you totally. And he had a similar reaction to Troy when she hugged him. He was all huge smiles and he immediately realizes something is wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love how he still has it in him. He's like, shields up. Basically, if he didn't say red alert, but he could have been shields up, red alert. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. This whole thing. And I also find it fascinating that this lodge in space, Alaska, has shields and sensors and all that. But, but apparently, he described it as they had trouble with the Kazinti, which is a race from the animated series. Oh, you know, I replayed that scene several times. I didn't turn on subtitles. I couldn't figure out what he was saying. I knew it wasn't Zindi, but it's something from the animated series. Amazing. Yeah, it was a race of cat-like creatures. It was not the ones we've seen uh, in uh, on, on the Enterprise or in the animated series or even on the movies, but it's a different cat-like race who's been around for millennia, and they were known as a group of slavers. And they were trying to either, uh, it's a little bit vague now, but basically thought they were better than humans and whatnot, but Pica- or Kirk foils them in the animated series. Yes. But yeah, it's a cat-like race. And this is a very civilized race, apparently, or planet, because they talk about the orbital control, and they talk about having a public transport off the planet, but uh, it still has issues with a, a race we heard in the animated series. Did you say that they live in Alaska? I said Space Alaska. Oh, Space Alaska. That's true. Isn't that where Riker's from? Yeah. Nice. I mean, this is perfect for why they would pick this planet. Besides even the, or at least this location on the planet, besides the regenerative soil that they tried to use to help prolong uh, the life of their son. Mm-hmm. I liked how Riker often referred to his wife as Imzadi, which comes mm-hmm. from Encounter at Farpoint. It goes all the way back, but we rarely heard it after that but now we know that not only did they get married like we saw in nemesis but they have stayed married and that's nice i mean even though i complain that nobody has a happy ending on this show at least they have some brightness in their lives which is a continuous long-term marriage not that that's necessarily an indication of happiness but in their their case it is and a wonderful daughter Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, i uh, love soji is having them oh go for it i also want to you know, I don't want you to have this to yourself because I loved it too, which was the scene on the docks. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, oh my it's god! So good. You know, you, the thing that got me the most was the way Will Riker had his arm over Picard's shoulder. Yes, yes. You know, it was so fam- familiar. It was so brotherly, even though this used to be his commanding officer, and we. In our American culture, we don't see a lot of physical intimacy between men. And I loved seeing this. And I I thought it was so subtle that nobody else might pick up on it. But then even Picard, he reaches over and he pats Will's hand. Like, I know you're there and I'm glad you're there. And, oh, I mean, I didn't know what their relationship might be like once you remove the command structure. But I'd never once 
in this episode heard Riker call him captain, and I never once heard Jean-Luc refer to him as number one. And I love that. No. Yeah. They're just uh, old friends. And and, I, and they're at the dinner table, and Riker mentions, like, he's trying to prove that Picard is trustworthy. And Picard is like, or Riker's like, I've known this man for 35 years. And I'm like, for me, internally, I'm like, that's it? I'm like, I feel like their relationship has just been so much longer. But that's like almost my entire life. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I was eight years old when The Next Generation aired. And now I'm 40. So, wow. Yeah, that's, it's been a while. <laughs> it, just, it just feels like in universe, they've been around forever. And so to say, to give a number of 35 years, which is accurate, it's just, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it hasn't been forever. It has been this long. I just thought that was interesting. I'm not a... Not a, a dismonishment or anything like that. It's just a kind of self-realization. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the, the original series aired in 1967. It debuted in 67. And the last movie to feature the entire cast, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, came out in 1991. So that was 24 years that this franchise yeah. spanned. And we are now seeing the Next Generation crew 35 years later. I mean, they're performances together granted it's not the entire crew just like we saw some of the crew of the original series in star trek generations but so far it's spanned more decades and more years and more eras than even the original series they have much more staying power in many ways than even the cast that started this entire franchise yeah i love i uh that uh Jonathan Frakes has been in every series, save for the original series. <laughs> and the animated series. And Discovery, I guess, and Discovery. But uh, but for most of them. And I was like, huh, that's actually really kind of cool. Like, he got to be a part of most of Star Trek in some regard. But uh, um, but yeah, it's just a lifelong thing that is really just wonderful. It's been there my, essentially my entire life. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just... I think that's why this episode was so touching. It was because for many of us who grew up with TNG, it was like coming home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's exactly what it was. And there was tons of little Star Trek music cues here. Yep. And whatnot. Uh, or Next Generation. I mean, uh, it was just great. Yeah. Uh, there are a few moments here I wanted to go before we get off in the pen day. Yes. Um, Soji was in the garden with Deanna. Deanna sensing that... Uh, She's going to have a talk to talk with, talk heart to heart with Soji. Uh, she was Kestrel away. And at some point, Soji says, like, uh, as she's eating this tomato, she's like, real is so much better. And Deanna tells a story about Thaddeus and having him die and basically comes to the conclusion that being real doesn't make it better. And Soji's having this breakdown. Like, like again, you just relatively moments ago or hours before her whole life just went upside down and she is trying to cope with becoming an android a former per lover that she allowed herself to be vulnerable to took advantage of her and tried to kill her suddenly this old man comes out of nowhere knows her name and says trust me as we walk into this window that takes us halfway across the galaxy like in just a matter of hours essentially her whole life is turned upside down and then she gets here and she's having a hard time believing what's going on and it's not just another trick and I just thought it was just really powerful here. And Deanna's doing her best, but apparently, like Soji said, like you trying to pretend, or tr you caring here makes me believe you less. And it's just like, that, just, I can't imagine going through something like that. It's hard. No, I believe it though. I met somebody once who told me that she believed that all compliments were lies. The only reason you would say something nice about somebody is to try to get them to do something that you want or to try to soften them up before you criticize them. And she's like, no, cut the bullshit. Just tell me what you really think. I don't need your compliments. I don't need to know what I'm doing well. I need to know what I'm bad at. And uh, I found that really sad. Yeah, it sucks what she's been through. Hmm. But I love this. I mentioned it before, but I love this relationship with Kestra. Kestra and her essentially teens working through things together and i thought that was a perfect playoff for soji i just loved it so much <laughs> yeah i think kestra i mean she is younger 
than the age at which Soji was created. I mean, Soji was created to be in her 20s, and here's Kestra in her teens, and Soji's now realizing that I, I can't tell what's real and what's fake, but this kid, this kid is having a real teenager life, They're a real childhood, a real upbringing, and that's something I never had. I just found out that my childhood was fake, and if I could have had a real one, I wish it had been like this kid's with loving parents who didn't want to kill me. Yeah. Um, before we get off Nepenthe, there's one more thing here that might become relevant in the future. Uh, during the dock scene with Riker and Picard, Riker mentions he's still on active reserve. Yes. Uh, shipping out re- would require a very good reason. So <laughs> I can see that coming back later in the series whether it's in this season or next who knows but if it does i will not be surprised i will be excited i may be surprised in the instant he appears but i will not be surprised that he appears you know one thing i'll say about Riker though is the thumbnail for this episode had him in it the day after the episode aired i got an email from star trek.com with a picture of him in it and a few (laughs) days after that Somebody, I asked somebody, are you watching Picard? I And they said, no, I'm only up to the second episode so far. And I'm like, oh, the seventh one aired recently. I haven't watched it yet. And they say, oh, is that the one with Riker? And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> and so you'll recall that I had similar concerns about Jerry Ryan when she showed up. It was right in the opening credits and I knew she was coming. And now I knew Riker was coming. There have been so many wonderful surprises that have been ruined for me. And not because... I co-host a podcast about it, but just because a lot of official channels and fans don't know how to keep a secret. And so I feel like I really need to make more of an effort to do exactly what you do, Sabriel, which is even if nobody else has watched it yet and I can't share my reaction, I need to watch it immediately because otherwise it's just going to be ruined. Yeah. Uh, internet has no qualms about that. Like I try to try to take care if there's like something I want to not see, like, like I didn't see Star Wars until like, the day after it came out, and so I just avoided the internet. I avoided online games, or I turned off channels uh, in game where people could talk. <laughs> like, nope, I'm just gonna nope out of here. Uh, I just forced myself to hold back on social media until uh, I was able to uh, get to it. So, I mean, unfortunately, it puts everything on you if you not don't want spoilers, right? Which in- unfortunate. And with Rise of Skywalker, I actually successfully avoided all the trailers. Like, I have friends who were, they they thought it was quite odd that we would go to the movie theater together to see something else. We'd sit down, the trailers would come up, the Lucasfilm logo would come up, and I said, I'll be right back. And I'd walk out of the theater for three minutes and then come back. Mm -hmm. Uh And I did this on multiple occasions. And it was worth it because by the time I finally saw the movie three weeks after it opened, I still knew nothing about it. And it was all a surprise. And after seeing the movie, I went back and watched the trailers and I thought, wow, that would have been such a different experience because it gives away (laughs) so much. And I'm so glad it was a new, original, fresh surprise for me. I I want that same experience for Star Trek. Oh, yeah. One of my partners did the exact same thing she did for all three Star Wars movies here, where once uh, the trailers start, she leaves, and I just message her on there, like, what trailer is being aired now? Oh, one about Knives Out. Oh, one about some kid show. Oh, here it is. And then, okay, you're safe to come in now. Uh, and she successfully avoided all trailers. Oh, oh, a person after my own heart. I love it. <laughs> she did get spoiled by one thing, thanks to uh, how it should have ended. Oh, <laughs> Oh, I, I in making a reference months before. You know, I only remember that that channel exists like once a year, and then I just go and binge everything they've done the last twelve <laughs> months because I love the Hishi channel. It is fun. It's fun. Yeah. But uh, back to Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's. Uh, uh, we have like twenty minutes left to talk about the two other plots. You know, it's okay though because I don't feel like these are going to take much time. Um, you want to start on the board cube? Sure. Uh, I hypothesized that the Romulans are not going to be happy with Hugh, and it turned out to be true. Uh, and But he's only safe because he's a Federation citizen, as Nerissa said, but has no qualms with killing the other XBs, and so she starts killing the other former Borg. And I love this moment where she's trying to get information out of Hugh, and he's... You can see him. I wrote in my notes. Um, uh, you can see him thinking about giving her the information uh, for about 0.66 seconds. 
Which, which for our next B is a very long time. Right. <laughs> but no, he stands defiant and basically like, no. And she's like, alright, I'll start killing. And you can see the pain in his, like, what he's done to his people. But he believes in Picard and Soji so much that, especially Picard's mission to save Soji, that he uh, is willing to sacrifice a lot uh, to to uh, protect them. Yeah. But he also has a plan, too. Yeah, very few people would have that iron will when confronted with immediate and nearby pain. They'll do anything to stop that. And yet, oh my gosh, he must believe in Picard so much. He must be so devoted to Picard that he lets his fellow XBs be slaughtered. And I don't blame him for doing that. He's not the one who pulled the trigger. This is the Romulans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Picard is one who broke him free from the collective. Picard helped him with the lore situation. And last week he was telling Picard he hopes Picard can push for a universe where XBs are accepted. And so he believes in Picard so heavily. Uh, I thought that was just a, a huge point in the character of Hugh. Yeah. Uh, just powerful. And as you said, the fact that he mentioned last week that he's a Starfleet citizen did prove relevant, but ultimately when he had a plan to reclaim the Borg cube, that citizenship went out the window and it wasn't much of a shield anymore. I was surprised that Hugh was so naive to think that he could do that, to think that he wasn't being watched. Well, I'm, I'm sure he, well, maybe in the heat of the moment, but also I'm sure like he probably felt like he had the upper hand because I'm a Borg on a Borg cube. Uh, what are the Romulans going to do to me? And uh, I also like he said, like, we can, uh, I'm going to take this cube for ourselves. I was afraid to go to the queen cell before because I afraid that the power might get to him. But he's like, I got to do this now. I got to protect my people. And oh, man, it sucked. But Elnar got to see him kick a lot of butt again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder what plan Hugh had for the queen cell. Yes, it has a special trajectory and the power necessary to power it. But, I mean, he couldn't, uh, in its current format and with its current intended focus and scope and purpose, he couldn't, like, just send a lot of people through the spatial trajector and, ha-ha, I beat you, Romulan. So he must have had some no, other plan, like, maybe use... to blow it up. Uh, that, or I think he was just going to take the ship, like, all right, <laughs> see you later. Uh, I can bring this somewhere much safer than the Beta Quadrant in uh, Romulan territory. Hmm. Even though there are still a lot of Romulans on the ship. Yeah, he can fix that in some way or another. <laughs> what were you going to say about Elnor? Uh, well, the Elnor here, he, uh, well, he's alive, Yeah. <laughs> for one thing. And he's been hiding out on the ship, which I was thinking, like, you know what? Apparently, he just disguised himself as a Romulan, so it's hard for them to pinpoint that's not a Romulan, we don't know. Hmm. But um, he chose to stay here. Uh, Rios is like, hey, kid, we're leaving. He's like, no, I'm staying. Mm-hmm. And that uh, was just this great little moment. In the, but then Nerissa taunts him into putting a sword away. Like he was about to win. And she's like, that's now how you fight in your, in your uh, Romulan sacred sect of absolute candor. Name escapes me at the moment. But uh, And then he's like, you're right. He puts the sword away and he starts going fisticuffs. And well... Romulans being Romulans, uh, she's like, fooled you, and kills uh, you. Uh, and he fell for it. Yeah, that's just another example of nobody having a happy ending. I did not think that Hugh's death would be so ignominious. It was really, yeah, it was it really was, sad. Uh, you know, it's also here. Elnor trusting someone. <laughs> he shouldn't have. Yeah, he takes uh, people at face value, and he should know. Yeah. He, he doesn't know better. Yeah, uh, here. So he's hiding away, and he—I'm guessing it was Hughes' console, but uh, or somewhere where Picard went. But suddenly he finds a, a Fenris Ranger badge tied to, or like, taped up to the bottom of someone's desk, and he activates it. The Fenris SOS. Yeah, that was really conveniently placed. I was, as I'm watching the episode, I'm trying to figure out where is he? Why does he have this? And who's giving it to him? It was. Convenient. So, best I can think of, I would have to go see the previous episode again. I wonder if there's a moment where Picard tapes this and I just didn't catch it before. 
but I didn't see anyone talking about it, so I'm guessing it was off camera. But I'm guessing this is the one that Seven gave Picard. But even if Picard left it behind, Borg cubes are ginormous. What are the odds that Elnor would ever see it? Yeah, I. That's why I'm like, maybe this was Hugh's command console? Maybe? But uh, I thought it was just really weird that he happened to stumble upon the one that had it. And th- maybe there was a reason that brought him here that was not put in the episode. But at face value, it was a little perfect timing. Still, though, it took me a couple of hours after I watched the show to put two and two together and figure out what's going to happen next. Hugh said to Elnor, you need to get into the queen cell and finish what I started. And to do that, you're going to need an ex-Borg. And then he uh-huh. finds a Fenris badge, and who do we know who's a Fenris ranger? But seven of nine. Yeah, she's calling, or he's calling her back to a board cube. This is not going to be going. going this is not going to go well. See, when I, when I heard that he needed an ex Borg, I thought he was going to go get that Romulan captain that uh, Soji previously interviewed, because that's the only other significant ex Borg I could think of. But mm. but now, of course, seven of nine has to come back, and this very happily proves me wrong when I said that we had seen the end of her, that when she beamed back onto Free Cloud, that was a suicide mission. It clearly must not be. Oh, no, I didn't believe that for a second. Well, I believed it for several minutes. I know you did. I try to be an optimist, but in that case, I was not. And, you know, what, what do they say? Optimists are often disappointed and pessimists are often pleasantly surprised i try to be an optimist <laughs> but this time i was pleasantly surprised um oh shoot i just lost it let's see if i can distract myself because there's something relevant here and uh board ship board dang it if it comes back to it i will blurt it out oh. but um <laughs> uh moment, no there was something to do with the fenris ranger badge and seven coming back here but i've apparently lost that to the ether um in that case shall we go talk about rios and his crew yeah. Oh man, Gerardi's moods tenor switch here. Yeah. Sh- oh, oh, I remember. I remember. I remember. Okay, let's go back to the board cube. Uh, it's related to the last scene actually, because Rafi, she's she's trying to break away from the tractor beam that got them in the beginning, and for a moment in the show, she focuses on uh, she found the ring art that the XPs were drawing. Uh, and she she finds a picture of this, and she the camera zooms in on her, looking closer at this art. This ring art is of circles upon circles upon circles is very important for something in the story. And we know the circles are, are some importance because Soji and Dodge have a necklace that have so circles and whatnot. But this is a little hint that something is going on, and Raffi's starting to figure it, or is going to start figuring it out too. I didn't realize the Borg were or the ex Borg were drawing circles. When when did that happen? It was, it was in the room where Soji first interviews the uh, the mythologist, the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, in, the, in the background, there was tons of this art on the oh. walls, plastered all over. Oh, I totally missed that. Interesting. So that's going to become relevant if they keep bringing it back up. Yeah, and while they are trying to break away from that tractor beam, Dr. Agnes Gerardi is saying, let's just go home. Why do, why do I have to be the one to find the synth? And she makes it very personal, very about her. She's very scared, very nervous. And she goes to have some cake and ends up Hold vomiting on, it. You're, you're missing a key point here. Uh, go on. <laughs> Rafi. Like, see, like, Gerardi's very tense. And uh, Rios nods to Rafi. And Rafi's like, I got this. And she's like, come on. Aunt Rafi's going to take, Auntie Rafi's going to take some care, good care of you. And we're all like, and like, she means she's going to get her high. And even Rafi's looking like she means that. But then Gerardi's like, is it cake? And Rafi's like, uh, yeah, cake. That's what I was going to get for you. <laughs> yep. And he gets her cake and then she throws it up. And I really did think it was blood, but no, it was just red velvet cake. Oh my God. They love making Gerardi barf. She did multiple times in this episode. <laughs> well, I think with good reason. Uh, barfing up cake, barfing up her lunch. Uh, when O showed her what could happen. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't good reason. It's just repeatedly barfing. And she does not have a good stomach when she is not in a good place. But no. then she's also like throwing up neurotoxin vomit or 
crap out of her mouth too at the end of the episode. <sighs> yeah, I mean, she's very anxious. She originally, when she killed Bruce Maddox, she said, "I wish they hadn't shown me what they did, and I wish I didn't know what they had shown me." And now we get to see what they were shown. It was a mind meld against her will, and it showed plants blowing up and people putting guns to their heads. And I don't know how synthetic life will lead to the death of trillions, but that seems to be very much what the Jat Vash believes. And so this is the mission Agnes set out on. This is why she asked me to put on Picard's crew. And she seems to be having second thoughts because she's very anxious. She doesn't want to meet the synth, the one that she was so eager to meet before. And Rios is starting to suspect this. I'm fairly confident. I think you'll agree with me is that when he sits her down in the sick bay and says, I think Rafi is a plant. I think she's been bugged. He knows that's not true because she already told him I, when I was on free cloud, I went to see my son. I thought that too. Like, no, he's just trying to get information out of Gerardi. But I don't think he knows who it is still. Cause or at least before the incident here at the end of the episode, cause uh, he makes a comment to uh, Rafi as well. He's like, I think I know what's going on here. And I don't think you're going to like the answer. And Rafi's like, what, you're going to throw me out of the airlock? And he just like, basically is like, Maybe. <laughs> well, well he, he said, I hope I don't have to. Yeah. You know? and, and so I think he uh, allowed for the possibility that she was bugged, but he was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Agnes, but there's a slight chance I'm wrong, in which case I'm going to come back to you. Yeah. I mean, that's what I got too, but I just like, it wasn't only, I mean, he's still trying to figure things out here, but then I'm going to get their answer probably pretty soon here when Gerardi tries to kill herself and the EMH saves her, puts her in a coma. And then the episode basically is over there in that, in that regard anyway. But, uh, yeah, oh, oh, we didn't mention it, but oh, put a tracker in, or had Gerardi eat a tracker that, that uh, Narek was using to follow the crew, which I thought it was a thing like we've been talking about for years, uh, trying to hide from Narek. Like, they're at light speed. Just drop out of warp. They're going to keep going for a while. <laughs> like, when they drop out of warp, they'll be in a completely different part of the universe uh, than where you are. And so just drop out of warp, change direction, and go. <laughs> That's what they did here for a bit, but they had a tracker on them. Yeah, it reminds me of stuff that we've seen in Battlestar Galactica, the new one, and also Star Wars The Last Jedi, these trackers that people have. And I don't think Gerardi was trying to kill herself. I think that she is enough of a doctor, granted a cyberneticist, not a medical doctor, but I think if she actually wanted to commit suicide, she could have done it successfully. I think she instead came up with some sort of way that at great risk and harm to herself would somehow neutralize that tracker. I think that's what she set out to do. And I think she was successful. It's possible. I, I, nothing, I cannot dispute that. Uh, intentional or not, she did severe harm to herself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she's in a and, coma now. Yeah. And, uh, but it, I think she's going through so much here. She's like, she put this new people in danger, but she also knows it's great risk to the galaxy. At least as she knows it. And she's had this mind meld forced on her. Uh, she's going, she's in space for the first time. She's in a board cube. Romulans are trying to kill them. There's a lot going on in her poor life right now. It's got to be hard to cope. Now, granted, she was originally so committed to the cause that she was willing to kill her lover or former lover, Bruce Maddox. What do you think uh -huh. caused her to now have a change of heart where she wants to disable the tractor? I don't think she ever didn't have one. It's just all this culminating up even including having to do that and now picard and soji are gone like here's my way out they're the ones that romulan's after she's saying it herself like they don't want us let's go uh we don't need them <laughs> and i think that's the major thing like picard's no longer a factor at least in her mind we could just leave she's basically tells them well that reminds me why do you think Narek is tracking rios and his crew when they now have the information about where Soji's homeworld is, wouldn't that be a bigger priority? Uh, I mean, Soji, I don't know. They want Soji still for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Or they want to kill her themselves. And it's possible, you know, there are two Hansy twins. Maybe uh, his uh -huh. sister is focused on finding the homeworld while he's focused on getting Soji. Well, it's also that the longer they are out there in the world or galaxy, the more chances they have to get more help. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they could put a stop to that. Mm. So these three plots, it's interesting that last week we saw 
all the threads come together and now we see them split up. I mean, everybody for a brief moment was on the Borg cube. Now they are on Nepenthe, Rios, and the and the Borg cube in this episode. Nepenthe and, the Bo- and Rios are reunited next week, but we still have more people on the Borg cube, more people being Elnor and maybe seven of nine. Uh, is there anything more about that setup that you want to talk about or where you think it's going next? Uh... No, but it, there was one more scene in Nepenthe I just remembered that I thought was fun. It's something you and I talked about, I think Amanda did too, where uh, Picard talks about basically he's got a motley crew and everyone's broken. <laughs> Everyone, They have more baggage than all of you ever did to Riker. Uh, yeah. But uh, I thought that was just a fun little scene. Like, yep, he's just reiterating what we said. <laughs> yeah, we've talked largely about how the latest iterations of Star Trek are they tend toward being darker than TNG and how humanity is more flawed. And that is something that Picard has definitely picked up on because his crew, he says like, yeah, exactly what you said about his crew. They are carrying a lot of weight. <laughs> um, all right. Well, in that case, I think that brings us to the end of another episode of transporter lock. We have just three more episodes of Picard to go this season. We're 70% done. So one way or the other, this is all going to culminate fairly soon. This calendar month, March 2020. Yeah, and then Discovery soon, which which was renewed. I don't think we remember mentioned that again. It was renewed again. Yeah, Picard. I'm sorry. Discovery was definitely renewed for season four, with season three starting soon. Have we confirmed that it has definitely been renewed for season five as well? No, that was just a rumor someone found on the internet, and if it if it is true, no one else has confirmed it yet. Okay. No one official. The background behind that rumor is that they were going to film Discovery Seasons 4 and 5 back-to-back, kind of like Superman 1 and 2 or Back to the Future or back 2 to the and future. 3. <laughs> gotcha. So maybe it's true. I mean, that seems like a good reason, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, in any case, we're getting lots of new Star Trek, and it's wonderful. Yeah, we definitely have at least three more seasons of Trek. Three and four of Discovery and two of Picard. Season two, I mean. And Section 31. Yeah, but we don't know if that's... You're right. That is confirmed, but we don't know if it's been filmed. We don't know when it's starting. And yeah, we don't. There are a lot of questions. A lot of unknowns. There are a lot of unknowns. Which is okay because it gives us a lot to think about and a lot to talk <laughs> about and podcast about. Yay. No. Well, in that case, I hope everybody stays tuned. Until next time, engage. Hit it. Punch it. Chewy. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com. <laughs>